Here I am, Lord, and I'm drowning in sea of forgetfulness. Chains of yesterday surround me. I yearn for peace and rest. Don't want to end up where you found me. Echoes in my mind. It's me awake tonight. Oh, you cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. And I stand before you now as though I never sinned. Today I feel like I'm just one mistake away from you leaving me this way. Jesus, can you show me just how far east is from the west? Cause I can barely see the man I've been rising up in me again. Arms of your mercy I found rest You know just how far the east is from the west One scar hand to the other One scar hand to the other Start the day the war begins Endless reminding of my sin Time and time again Your truth is drowned out by the storm I'm in Day I feel like I'm just one mistake away From you leaving me this way Jesus, can you show me just how far The east is from the west I can better see the man I've been Rising up in me again Arms of your mercy I found rest You know just how far the east is from the west One's got hand to the other Though you wash me white Turn my darkness into light your peace to get me through, get me through the night. I can't live by what I feel, about the truth your word reveals. And I'm not holding on to you, but you're holding on to me. You're holding on to me. You know just how far East is from the West I don't have to see the man I've been Rising up to me again Of your mercy I found rest You know just how far the East is from the West One's got hands from the other One's got hand to the other One's got hand to the other One's got hand to the other Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you that we can come before you lord we thank you for the truths that each of these songs reveal lord god that you are a great god and worthy to be praised god that you set us free lord jesus that you remove our sin as far as the east is from the west and there's nothing that we did nothing that we said nothing that we could even offer lord that to earn the grace that you've given us, Lord Jesus. God, we just thank you. We praise you. We ask that tonight as we just turn to your word, God, that you would open our eyes, that we would see in our ears, that we would hear in the, the understanding of our hearts, Lord Jesus, that we might become like that mighty tree planted by the river. The roots go deep that shall not be moved. Lord, we ask that you would bless this time as we just seek your presence. And your anointing in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Sometimes nothing hits a spot like water, huh? And most of sometimes a monster comes close, but if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Jeremiah chapter 33. And and as we look at this part of Jeremiah, I just I Jeremiah is probably one of my favorite books. I love going through Jeremiah. Um, some people when they go through Jeremiah, they they feel depressed. Because <clears throat> Jeremiah always has a, a lot of bad news. That he's laying out for the people. But the beautiful thing about Jeremiah is in the midst of all that bad news, God has so many good things to say. So many incredible promises that we still hold on to today, right? Like Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know it. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not to be able to give you a future and a hope. That comes out of the despair of Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah... Chapter 33's, he's coming to the end of the siege. And, and as he comes toward the end of that siege, the people actually began to tear down their homes and throw the, the rubble from their homes and the, the, the things that they could drag out of their house and pile it against the wall to keep the enemy out, to keep Nebuchadnezzar from coming through. But sometimes we get like that. Uh, you know, the word of the Lord had come to the people. Nebuchadnezzar is coming through the wall. <laughs> but the people didn't like it. I was like, hey, we don't always like what God has laid out for us in our lives, right? Sometimes we look at it and we think, well, I'm not sure how this can be the, the word of the Lord, how this can be God's plan. And they began to do everything they could to, to stop it, to fight against it. You know, in the book of Acts, there's a fellow named Gamaliel. He was a teacher of Paul and not that he was all wise, but he did mention one thing to the Sanhedrin when they were beginning to persecute the church in the very beginning. He said, be careful lest you find yourself fighting against God. Just be careful. And here we see the people, that, that's what they're doing. I mean, in reality, they're fighting against God. God wants them to go into captivity because in that captivity, in that time of despair, in that time of hurt and and, and struggle, he's going to really grow them. He's going to establish more of him in their life. And the only way he can do it is to take them there. But sometimes we go kicking and screaming, right? All the way, kicking and screaming. Well, and that's where they're at. That's where they're at in chapter 33. And so the Lord brings his word to them in chapter 33, verse 1. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, while he was still shut up in the court of the prison. So he's shut up in the court of the prison. They've locked him up. They, the, the Nebuchadnezzar's outside. The siege is going on. They don't want to have to listen to Jeremiah tell them to stop fighting and stop doing the things they're doing. So they, they put him in, uh, in the court of the prison. And so that didn't stop the word of the Lord from coming to Jeremiah. So God says to Jeremiah, thus says the Lord who, who made it, the Lord who formed it, and to establish it. He's talking about the city. He's talking about Jerusalem. And the people are trying to save it, but God's saying, listen, this is not the place you built. And I know you think it was the sweat of your hands, but the reality is it was God raising up Jerusalem through the people for the people. You know, Nebuchadnezzar had the same issue in the, in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar had the same thing. He looked around at his kingdom and he said, oh, wow, what a great kingdom I have built. But in reality, the Lord said, Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't do any of this. I gave it to you. I built it. He's saying, this is a city I established, that I formed, that, that he was a part of raising up. So he says in verse 3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God comes to Jeremiah and he says, hey, call to me, call out to me. I'm going to show you some things you don't understand. I'm going to give you knowledge from on high. 
And he's going to lay out some things that people have a hard time grasping. He's going to lay out for them three things specifically. He's going to lay out for them God's unsearchable justice. And he's going to lay out God's unsearchable peace and God's unsearchable pardon. All in the middle of this. If we, if we have eyes to see, God wants us to be able to grasp it. So in verse 4, he starts with God's unsearchable justice. You know, part of the, part of the error of, of Calvinism or Arminianism or many of the isms in the world is they emphasize one part of God's character and they de-emphasize another. Well, if I'm a Calvinist, I'm going to emphasize God's sovereignty, but I'm going to de-emphasize his love. Well, both of those things are working together, right? I mean, God is all loving and all sovereign. And when we, when we lean into the justice of God, we think, well, God, God is just. He's just God, and he's going to make people pay for the things that they haven't done. Yes, God is all just, but he is all grace, too. The, the unsearchable characteristics of God, when you think about, when we, that's why God said, don't make any graven images, because you're going to emphasize one part of God's character, and you're going to de-emphasize another. You're going to emphasize his love, but you're going to de-emphasize his justice. None of those are right. We want to see God. God is God. He is, he is everything. He is it all. He's unsearchable. He's unknowable. We can't even begin to comprehend all that is God. But here the Lord is laying out to Jeremiah. I'm going to share some of these things with you. In verse 4. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the house of the city. And the houses of the kings of Judah. Which have been pulled down to fortify against the siege mounds and the sword. Hey they pulled down the wall to try to stop or, or hold back the wrath of God that was coming upon the city. Now how useless is that? I mean, really, by our own abilities, can we forestall the wrath of God? When the wrath of God comes, the wrath of God comes. There's not anybody going to hold that back. And here, as the Lord begins to speak about his justice, he's, he says, concerning that, the, the tearing down of the houses and the palaces to fortify the wall, it didn't keep Nebuchadnezzar out. It didn't keep him out this time. It didn't keep him out the other three times that he came into Jerusalem until he utterly destroyed it. It never worked. They couldn't stop what God was trying to do. What's he saying? Verse 5. So he says, They come to fight with their Chaldeans, or with the Chaldeans, but only to fill their places with dead bodies of men whom I will slay in my anger and my fury, all for whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city. Hey, God says, The wrath is coming. Now, when we look at Jeremiah, you want to hold on to the reality that God gave him fair warning. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God said, this is what's happening. Nebuchadnezzar's coming down. You're going into captivity. Nothing you can do that's going to stop that judgment from falling. So, lay down your arms. Lay down your swords. Walk away from your homes. Walk away from your stuff. Go into the captivity and I will take care of you. He said, go there and I want you to have families, and I want you to plant, and I want you to reap, and I want you to live. But I want you to do it in Babylon. And the people would not hear. The Lord said, if you pick up the sword to fight against what I'm trying to do in your life, it's going to kill you. And so the Lord says here, speaking of his justice, his word was true. What he told them was really going to happen. And so when they would pile up the stuff against the sieges and they make their last stand and they all go stand out there with the sword and we're going to stop this. We're going to stop what God has planned for, for the land of Israel. The Lord said, you're just going out to fill the places with dead bodies. Because if you go out to fight, you will die. If we try in any way to save ourselves, we are utterly lost. Not like, oh, we're just close to saving ourselves, but we can't quite do it. No, we're not anywhere close to being able to save ourselves. The Lord has provided for us, just like he provided for them in Jeremiah. He said, 
I'm going to take you into this captivity. I'm going to do a work. I'm going to bring you back out. I'm going to put you back into the land. Just trust me. Lord has done a similar work for us in salvation. He says, don't trust in yourself and your own ability to be right or your own ability to be good. Put all your care upon me. Put all your trust on me. Put your weight into me. Be in Christ Jesus. But there are still some people who say, nope, I can do it myself. And the Lord would say the same thing. If you line up against that wall to save yourself, you will die. Because God is perfectly just. And no sinner can stand before God. None. He can't do it. There's one way. Through Jesus Christ. There was one way for them to be delivered at this time. To just walk in obedience to what God had said. You're going into captivity. There are times in my life where things that I didn't necessarily like were obviously God's will. There were things I would have liked to have had differently. But it was obviously God's will. When we, I, the, the, the easiest one for me to remember is when Joe was, was diagnosed uh, with autism. And you go through this whole thing in the beginning of trying to cure him. Right? You know, there's, I mean, you can go online and read it for yourself. Ten million supernatural cures if you just soak his feet in a, in a pottery or something. It sucks all the metal out of his feet. Or, or you take away all the casting and the gluten out of his diet. Or you do all these things. And we were running down those, we're running down those rabbit trails, right? He's your son. You want to do everything you can, wouldn't you? If there's something you can do, you want to try to do it. You want to say, I tried everything. But somewhere down all that trail, the Lord just spoke to my heart. Your son is autistic. That's, that's what he has. That's my plan for his life. And no amount of banging your head against the wall is going to change it. Apart from God doing something, nothing's going to happen. And I remember I came to that a little bit easier than mom. Mama bears never come to that as easy. Mama bear will fight to their dying breath. But, you know, just, I just try to comfort her. Baby, this is, this is, you know, not the child we thought. But he's still ours. And he still has a purpose and a plan in God's order here for us. And so we have to change what we think is is our plans and say, just like Jesus did in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. That doesn't mean God doesn't have a purpose. It just means it didn't line up with my will. Now, that's going to happen more often than not, that God's will doesn't line up with my will. Because I don't have the things of God in mind. Isn't that what Jesus said to Peter? You remember when Jesus told Peter the first time the Son of Man's going to be betrayed and he's going to be taken and he's going to be crucified and on the third day he'll, he'll rise again? It was right after Peter told that great profession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and the Lord said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven, that God, Almighty God, spoke through Peter at that moment to give that profession of faith. And then Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day I rise again. And immediately, Peter goes the opposite way, right? He says, not so, Lord. You know, I'm going to rebuke the Lord. I, I, I know I've been there. I know there's been times I tried to rebuke the Lord because his plan wasn't very good, but... Just like Peter, I come to just as much of a failing in that as he did. The Lord said something to Peter, though. You don't have the, the, the mind of the Spirit. You have your desires, your plans, but you don't have the, the mind of the Spirit. You're not allowing for God. You haven't had your gotchmone. You haven't had your Gethsemane. You haven't had that moment where you say, nevertheless, not me. I'm sure Peter didn't want Jesus to die. I'm sure I wouldn't have either if I had been there. But he had to come to the place he was willing to receive God's will. And that's where these people are. But if you don't, if you don't bend to God's will, you will be broken against his almighty stone, right? The rock that the builders have rejected. You either fall upon the rock, which is Jesus, and are broken, or the rock falls on you. Yeah, which way do you want it? 
I kind of prefer the falling on the rock and being broken to the rock falling on me and being smushed. That's, that's really the choice that these people had. And so they find themselves in the line to receive the justice of God. I don't know about you. I never want to be in the line to receive the justice of God. I know what I deserve. I want to be in the line of mercy, not justice. But this is the unsearchable justice of the Lord. And they're going to die. He said, I have hidden my face from this city. But then he moves from that, from God's unsearchable justice to God's unsearchable peace. Look, he says in verse 6, then immediately, behold, I will bring it health and healing. The people are trying to save it themselves. You see, the people are trying in their efforts to make everything different. But God is saying, I will bring it healing. He's talking about the city. They're trying to save the city. And God says, I'll bring it healing. You just need to submit to God's perfect work. I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. So first he says he's going to heal the city. Then he also says he'll heal the people. God is trying to do a work in the heart of his people. That's why Babylon is on the horizon. Sometimes God's trying to do a work. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I can't even count how many things God's done in my life because of Joe being in my life. Can't even count them. And I know part of the reason, part of the purpose was so they, the Lord could show me those things. So, so he could reveal those things. I don't think that's all, but I know that that's part of it. And there's no way God could have showed me that except the way he did. I wouldn't have learned it any other way. There was one way. But you see, just like the promise that God makes here, he says, I will heal the city, but I'll also heal them. Hey, one day, I'm going to enter into to heaven, and I'm going to have my moment with Jesus, and then I'm going to have eternity with my son without any of the things that, that cause a division between he and I today. Without the, 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 the disease, you know, being that wall between us where we can't necessarily talk or we can't have that relationship. I'm going to have it. I'm going to have it. Jesus said no one has lost anything here that he won't receive greater there and here. As, God, as we just submit ourselves to God and allow God to do that work. So he says, hey, I'm going to heal them. I'm going to raise them up. And I'm going to reveal to them, listen, the abundance of peace and truth. I'm going to heal them and I'm going to reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. God's unsearchable peace. We talked a little bit about today in the book of Philippians that lays out for us that there is a peace that surpasses all understanding available to us. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding that is available to us. We can receive that peace. We can enjoy that peace. We can, we can walk in that peace. But, but there's something that, that God lays out for us in regard to that. And it's, a, it's an attitude of seeking the Lord in prayer. With thanksgiving, right? Making your requests known to the Lord. Going to him in prayer, seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord and, and, and finding his peace. I can't just pray, God, give me peace and then get up and run about my day. Man, I got to seek after the Lord. I got to pour his word in my life. I got I to gotta make it evident. You know, and, I, and I, this has been something God's just really been kind of mingling on my heart about seeking the Lord and, and going after him and and. You remember David? You remember David and Bathsheba, right? And they had a child and they, you know, Nathan does, you are that man. And, and David is convicted before the Lord. And in God's justice, David's boy that was born to Bathsheba is going to die. But the whole time that little boy was alive, however long that was, David didn't eat. He was on his face before the God, petitioning that God would heal his son. That's seeking the Lord. And 
You know, in our busy world, we don't often do that. I mean, David was so distraught, on his face, unwashed, unshaven, just with everything within him, he's seeking God. Everything in, in every way he can. I mean, I, I imagine that, that, that sometimes all that can come out is groanings. I remember hearing, um, I don't remember the pastor's name, the guy that wrote uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, but uh, Jim Cimbala. Is that right, babe? Jim Cimbala. There were some real struggles in his family. And so his, his, one of his children, if I remember right, one of his children was so wrapped up in the drugs that it was like just unbelievable. I mean, so way beyond what you could ever dream or imagine. This kid was so messed up and, and so caught in this thing and, you know, breaking into the house and stealing money to buy drugs or whatever. And he, and he was so burdened for his child that he called the prayer meeting and he said and at this particular prayer whoa sorry at this particular prayer meeting he he gets down and he begins to pray and all he can do he can't even say words all he can do is groan oh and they prayed all night long that's seeking the lord and i think there's a real deal where God wants us to do that because when we do that he meets us in those places when we seek him like we like like I tend to do hey I got 20 minutes this morning gonna pray you know lay out my request to the Lord go get busy about my day you know I don't really ever set the time aside like that on my face David was so distraught and crying for the Lord that the people, when his son died, didn't even want to tell him, right? Don't tell him. You think he's bad now. Wait till we tell him his son died. And David hears him talking and says, is my son gone? Yeah. He got up and he shaved, cleaned up, sat down to eat. And the worker said, what is going on? He said, hey, I don't know whether or not God would relent. Whether or not God in his grace would extend healing to my son. So as long as there was an opportunity, I was praying. And when the Lord took my son, he said, Nevertheless, he can't come to me, but I will go to him. David was looking forward to a relationship still with that child. He wasn't mad that God took him. He, he doesn't curse the Lord. He does not, not all angry. But as long as there was an opportunity for God to move... That's how he prayed. I think that's what God wants us to do. We want to experience that abundant peace, that abundant truth. The Lord says, I'll heal them. He's there. The gift is extended, just like the gift of salvation. I want you to think about the gift of salvation. The Lord is is holding the gift of salvation out. To whosoever will, every man, woman, and child has the opportunity for salvation. It's there. We have to what? Receive it, right? We got to receive it. We have to apprehend the promise of God. God gives us a promise of the peace that surpasses all understanding. Beyond anything we can ask or imagine. The the, the beauty, he says that, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And I'm saying God has those promises right there. All we got to do is apprehend them. And sometimes I think the way they're apprehended is by seeking the Lord with everything that we have, like David did. You remember we talked a few weeks ago on Sunday morning about, about Jesus, you know, in the transfiguration. And he comes down the mountain and there's a, a boy who's moonstruck, right? He's got some kind of a, a demon within him. <clears throat> and and this, this demon within him, the father brings his child to the disciples and they can't cast him out. Everybody remember? there. They try, they can't do it. So the, so the scribes and the Pharisees are busting the chops of the disciples because they can't do it. And Jesus comes down and, and he does it. He does the work. And later on, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And so people... Go together and they start making all these concepts about how we need to fast more and we need to pray more. I'm not sure that's what he's saying. I think Jesus is saying, you got to go after the Lord so much so that you are in prayer that you don't eat. 
You don't stop to take a break. You don't take care of your own things. You just seek the Lord. To me, that's, what, that's prayer and fasting. Not the, not the, the traditional concept that we're going to have a fast, but that I'm serving God and I'm going after God so hard that I don't eat, that I don't stop for anything else, that I don't take care of all these other things. It's just Him. It's just the Lord. And we know from the disciples in that story, they're saying, how come we couldn't do it? You know, their focus was on themselves, not how come, you know, God wouldn't work through us or how come we, we were unable to meet the needs of this person because their focus was on them. That's why Jesus said, you got to go with your whole heart, prayer and fasting. You got to go with everything you are poured into this so that you're just going after God and you forget to eat. It's not that you planned it. It's not that you said, I'm going to fast. It's that I'm going after God so hard I fasted. Not that I had this planned thing. And so, you know, I just think that that's the way that God wants us to, to go after him, to experience this stuff that he has for us. Because he says right here, here's my unsearchable peace. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. Then he goes on to say, not only that, I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return and rebuild those places as at the first. Man. All of the while, God is saying to them, I have a good plan for you. Not easy, but it's good. You got to go into captivity and you got to lose everything. You got to lose it all. You know, I don't, sometimes I ask myself, you know, I don't, I don't want to stand before God and then be thinking what would I have given up to have made this conversation that I'm having with the Lord better what did I hold on to that you know just wants to drag me down a little while ago we had a a fellow fall out of a boat on the river and one of our own Jason Richardson saves this guy but part of the reason why the guy couldn't save himself is because he was holding on to a shotgun he would not let go. Wouldn't let that shotgun go. Almost drowned. Be kind of dumb, wouldn't it? Well, I died, but I never let go of the shotgun. Man. All of a sudden, that shotgun, I don't know what you paid for it, but I don't think it's worth that. But in our lives, what are we holding on to the same way? We're, we're drowning we're going under the water. We're holding on to this, though. i got to have this thing, whatever this thing is. For these guys, the thing was, I'm not going to let them take this city. And God was saying, let them take it. You know, when the, when the Jews went into the Holocaust, all the while, you know, leading up to it, things kept gradually getting worse, right, in their communities. You know, first it's, the businesses people aren't going to, then there's a Star David they want them to wear or, or, or registering they want them to do or whatever. And you look at it and you think, you know, as things were progressing, and they've been asked, people have in, in interviews asked, why didn't you leave? But they're being held by all the stuff they had. Why? My business is there. My family is there. My house is there. I'm not just going to leave. And so they stayed. And I'm not saying that is or isn't the Lord's will for that particular family at that particular time. But it, it just illustrates how we will allow things in our life to hold us. And then we're, we're finding ourselves, you know, being drugged down by them. Drowning. Perishing. Going through things maybe we didn't have to go through. But we were holding on. To that thing. I will save my city, they said. But God was saying, let your city go. It's not your city. I built it. It's not your place. I made it. It's not your stuff. I'll give you more. I'm going to raise you back up. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to give you peace. Just trust me. That's what he's saying through Jeremiah. Then he goes on in verse 8. And he talks about his unsearchable pardon. Listen in verse 8. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity. Here's a really cool thing. It's hard to see it in English, so I'm going to give it to you in the with the Hebrew concept, but here it is. 
I will cleanse them from all their iniquity. That iniquity is singular. It means, it, it refers back to original sin. I will cleanse them from original sin. It's almost like you could say that. Sin, the sin nature that they're, that they're born with. But then he says, and by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities. That's the, the sins that they themselves have committed. Both the sin they inherited and the sin that they're committing. God says, I'm going to pardon it. I'm going to cleanse it. I'm going to wash it. I'm going to take it out of the way. And this is, a, this is a promise of what Jesus Christ is going to wrought on the cross for all the world. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity. Original sin removed. And then my personal actual sins. He says, I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. And then it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all the nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them. That they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide for it. Hey, God says, listen, I've got a plan in it all. <clears throat> and you're going to see God's unsearchable justice, his unsearchable uh, pardon, his unsearchable peace that he wants to extend to them. He says, man, they're going to see what I'm doing for you. Man, and they're going to realize, they're going to realize that forgiveness of sin far as the east is from the west. In verse 10, it says, thus says the Lord again, there shall be heard in this place of which you say it's desolate without a man, without a beast. In the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, <coughs> excuse me, without man, without inhabitant, and without beast. The, the people were saying there's going to be an unsure future. Now, here they are, the siege is going on, and here's what God is saying. Listen, Jeremiah, people one day, a little bit further down the future when this is all over, they're going to say, man, there's no future there. It's all gone. No man, no beast, no thing. But God says, no, listen, it's not that there's no future. He says, I'm going to reverse it all. I'm going to change it all. Listen, he said in verse 11, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the voice of those who say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. The Lord says, I'm going to bring all this back. The weddings are going to return. The weddings are going to come again, and people will, give, will have weddings. He says, Thanksgiving will return. They'll say, Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good. Offering up Thanksgiving, and, and those who will bring the sacrifice of praise to the house of the Lord. For I will cause the captives of the land to return as at the first, says the Lord. And God says, I'm going to reverse it all. And the voice of rejoicing will be heard again. Hey, I know. There have been times and seasons in life that I wasn't sure there was ever going to be smiling again. Seemed like everything was tears. Everything was sadness. Everything was, was broken. But the Lord says, no. Sorrow is in the evening, but joy comes in the morning. We allow God to do that, that work. It won't be forever. Whatever it is, and however long it is, and however many years it may last. It won't be forever. It won't be forever. Lord, indeed, will do his per perfect work. And the wedding will return. And Thanksgiving will return. And then in verse 12, he tells us the farming is going to return. Listen. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In this place which is desolate, without man, without beast, and in all its cities, there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds, causing their flocks to lie down. And in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin, and the lands around Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, the flock shall again pass under the, the hands of him who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. Hey, they're, they're going to return. The shepherds are going to come back. It's interesting because here in in Jeremiah chapter 33, the Lord's going to give a prophecy concerning the Messiah, the Mashiach. He's going to give a prophecy concerning the Lord. And, and sometimes maybe you've wondered, why in that prophecy? Why, 
when we read the, the scripture of Luke, why does it talk about the, the Lord revealing it first to the shepherds? Because that's a fulfillment right here, what God said. God said, listen, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring shepherds in the land again. There's going to be wedding. There's going to be thanksgiving. This is all going to occur. All these things are going to happen. And so it was a fulfillment that God had done all those things for the children of Israel. When they came and the angels came to the shepherds, they're saying, look, it's done. The shepherds are here. The people are being married and given in marriage. And we have the, the, the thanksgiving being offered. God says, this is, this is just like the time I told you. Why? Look, he says in verse 15, in those days, in that time, when the voice of rejoicing has returned, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness, and he will execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which... She will be called Yahweh Tiskanu, Lord our righteousness. So, first he says, in those days, around this time, when these things are going on, the days of the return, he says, I'm going to cause to grow up from David a branch of righteousness. He says, I'm going to raise a king. First part of this promise, there will be the rightful king. There is only one kingly line in Israel, right? Just one. That's the line of David. Comes through the tribe of Judah. That's it. One kingly line. How many priestly lines are there? One priestly line. Where does it come through? It comes through the Levites. There are two families that God made promises to. We're going to read them right here. This first promise is the promise of the return of the rightful king. He's going to be a just king. He will execute judgment. He's going to be a victorious king because in those days he's going to save Judah and Jerusalem will dwell safely and he's going to be a righteous king. And his name, the name is the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. This is the name of God. The name of God. Yahweh Tiskanu. The name of the king is going to be the Lord our righteousness. The name of this one branch to come, the branch of righteousness to be raised through the line of David, is the Lord our righteousness. Scripture tells us that he who knew no sin became our sin, that we might become what? The righteousness of God. He bestowed that righteousness upon us. The king of the righteous king, the Lord our righteousness, is what he lays out. So, verse 17, he says, For thus says the Lord, David will never lack a man... To sit on the throne of the house of Israel. This is a promise God made to David. Let me ask you a question. Is there right now a king on the throne of David? Well, not one that we can see. Well, the throne of David is currently in heaven. That's where God sits. And the king is there. His name is Jesus Christ the Righteous. From the moment that he came, he was crucified with a sign over his head. What did the sign say? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, right? The people were all upset. No, take that off, take that off. No, Pilate said, for one, finally he got a backbone. What I have written, I have written. There it is, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. He died and rose again, right? He's still the king. Still on the throne. And one day he will come and sit on the earthly throne. But he is that king. Then he says in verse 18, Nor shall the priests of the Levites lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me, or to kindle grain offerings, or to sacrifice continually. This is a promise of God. So either God's word is broken, or there's still a priest. I will never cease to be a king from a line of David. Jesus Christ is eternal. He fulfills that role as king. Well, what about the Levites? After 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Nobody knows who a Levite is anymore. All they can do is guess. Nobody knows because all the records, all the genealogies were lost in the temple. 
So we go to the writer of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5 to find out that Jesus Christ is our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Who likened to the Son of Man without beginning of days or end of days, he's made likened to the Son, a priest forever. God says, I'm going to make two promises to you. There'll always be a king from the line of David and there'll always be a priest. To make sacrifice to you. What's Jesus do? He ever lives to make intercession for us, right? He fulfills that role that Jeremiah is talking about here. He fulfills that role perfectly. But listen, in 19, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what God said. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant, these are the promises we're just talking about. Okay? If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that there will not be day or night in their season... Then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne or with the Levites, the priests as my ministers. So he says, listen, if you before my word will be broken, there will be no more day or no more night. Last I checked, we're still having days and nights. Right. Sun's going to come up tomorrow. So it reminds me of a song, right? The sun will come up tomorrow. No, nobody heard that before. The sun will come up, man. There's, there's going to be a day. There's night right now. God says, as long as there's day and night, I will keep my promise. And as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, the numbering of the stars, nor the sand of the sea can be measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who ministered to me. Interesting. Listen. Just like the host of heaven can't be numbered, I'm going to make that many sons of David. And that many priests. Hmm. I wonder how God does that. It seems to me that Jesus is the the king in the line of David. And he says that we are all to be a kingdom of kings and priests. And how many people have given their life in service to this king? How many believers are there? That's how many sons of David. And that's how many sons of Levi there are. Kings and priests. Of fulfillment. God says, listen, before either there's going to be no sun, no day or no night. Or I'm going to keep my promise. The promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the number of the, the quantity of kings and priests is fulfilled in the believers. For there is now therefore neither Jew nor Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. We are all one in Christ. What are we one in Christ? We are kings and priests with him to reign with him together. The Lord says you won't even be able to count them all. You're not going to be able to count all the sons of David. You're not going to be able to count all of the priests that I will raise up. All the ministers that will come. Verse 25 says so. Or I'm sorry, verse 23, moreover the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, have you not considered what the people are saying? Now listen, here's what the people are saying. You've heard God's promise and his his promise to fulfill it as long as there's day or night. He says, but the people are saying the two families which the Lord has chosen, he has cast them off. There's no king from David's line and there's no priest from Levi. That's what the people were saying. At the time of Jeremiah. And the Lord saying, hey, you tell them. At the time of Jeremiah, they think the king is destroyed. You know, his eyes are plucked out. He lives out his days in in Babylon. But when you come to the last chapter of the book of Jeremiah, you'll see the king, evil Merodach, I think is his name, uh, the king of Babylon, is going to take the king of of Israel and he's going to take him out. A son of David, he's going to take him out of imprisonment. And he's going to put him in the palace. He's still there. They can't see it. They think it's all over, right? It's all over. We're never going to have a priest again. We're never going to have a king again. But by the last chapter of Jeremiah, you're going to see God begin to turn the wheels to make those things come around. But fulfillment ultimately is in Jesus Christ. The king is called Yahweh Tiskanu. There's no way around that. There's no king I know of named God. But one. Jesus Christ. Well, he goes on and says, 
Thus they have despised my people, as if they should no more be a nation before them. But this is what the Lord says in verse 25. If my covenant is not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinance of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David my servant, so that I will not take any of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captives to return, and I will have mercy on them. Listen, not a lot of people like to read that, but here's basically what he just said. As long as there is day and night, as long as the stars are still in the heaven, the sun is still in the sky, the moon still comes out at night, as long as all those things are out there, I will not forsake Jacob or the family of David. That's him saying, I will not forsake Israel. They're his. Israel is his firstborn. God will never forsake Israel. They may go through difficulty, but the scripture declares God's going to bring them back. The beginning of that we see now. The fulfillment we'll see when Christ returns. But he's going to bring them back. God has a plan for Israel. God has a plan for the church. But folks, the church is not Israel. The church is not Jew, Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. The church has no citizenship except in heaven. We all started as something else, but we put our trust in Jesus Christ and we become kings and priests together with him. Amen. As we close out tonight, as we consider what God's word lays out for, we got, we got some time that we can pray. It'd be my heart that we would just take that opportunity to go after the Lord the same way David went after him. To go after the Lord, it doesn't mean you have to be loud, doesn't mean you have to talk, it doesn't mean you have to stand up front. It just means really go after the Lord. The only person that's going to know is you and him, right? You can say a lot of stuff here and not be going after the Lord, just put on a show for everybody else. I don't want that. I just want sincerely go after him. we got this time to set aside for him. Let's seek him. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you tonight. Lord Jesus, we ask, God, that you would meet us here. Father, that you would help us to understand the truth of your word, the way that you would have us go after you, the way that you would have us seek you, the way that we should just come before you and, and open our heart and, and our mind and our spirit. And Lord God, just to come after you with everything that we are, everything we have, anything that would cause us to trip, anything that would cause us to stumble, anything that would hold us back from being what you want us to be. God, may we indeed cut that out of our life. Throw it away. I'm sure we're free to experience, I'm sure we're free to have those things, but if it holds me back, it needs to be gone. God, I pray we would just seek you with a whole heart, Lord. Pray that we would seek you with everything that we have, Lord, that we come before you. We come before you with the joy of the wedding, the praise of thanksgiving. God, we just ask you move in this place.